Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. We're going to be sharing from John chapter 4 today, talking about the woman at the well. And we're going to talk about sharing salvation. We're also going to talk about the healing of the nobleman's son. How many of you glad Jesus is still in the healing business? You know, I met a man at the front door after first service. He said, Pastor, eight years ago today, you gave me a word. I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And I said, yeah, how many, you know, you know, what was the percentage of chance they were giving you live? He said, none. He said, they were just giving me a few months. But eight years ago today, you gave me a word. I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Praise God. And he's alive and healthy and strong and knows no trace of disease in his body today. Praise God. You know what? It's important what you hear. It's important what you listen to. Praise God. And so thank God for the word of God. Keep believing. Keep speaking God's word. Keep acting like it's true. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's open our Bible. Let's go to John chapter 4. I'm excited about this message. We're going to begin in John chapter 4, verse 14, where Jesus says, Whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. If you drink the water that I give you, you're never going to thirst. It'll be in you like an artesian well. Have you ever seen an artesian well where the water just bubbles up out of the ground? That's like salvation. When you have salvation, you have a well in you springing up, bringing eternal life to you. Do you know the Bible says that the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you? You've got the spirit of Christ, the exact same spirit that raised him from the dead. You've got the anointing of God in you. You received it at salvation, and it brings life to you. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through verse 39, Jesus talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he says, he who believes on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So you have an anointing in you. That brings life to you. You are anointed as anybody that you know to live the Christian life. That's the anointing in you. The anointing on you is anointing to minister to other people. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to blind, to preach the, you know, the year of God's deliverance and the year of God's acceptance. Amen, the day of God's grace. He closed the book after that and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. You have an anointing in you that brings life to you. You're just as anointed as anybody, any other believer to live the Christian life, but you have an anointing on you to minister to other people, and that anointing is unique. That anointing is different, but the anointing in you leads you to the anointing that's on you. This is what's different in New Testament ministry and Old Testament ministry. In Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on them, right? They had seven of the nine manifestations of the Spirit that we have in operation today, in operation in the Old Testament, but the Spirit of God would come on them. Right, but today we have the Spirit of Christ in us, resident 365, 24, 7. And the anointing in us leads us to the anointing on us. And there, those seven have been when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in the day of Pentecost. 
And they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Those seven went to nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But you need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit in you, amen, so it can lead you to the anointing on you and minister to other people. We're talking about sharing eternal life. How can we effectively share eternal life? Let's go back. What is eternal life, first of all, before I begin here in verse 1? Jesus said it this way in John 17, verse 3. My daughter and I just answered it correctly. He said, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Paul defined it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being made conformable to his death. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11, they will all know me from the least to the greatest. Do you know God? God wants you to know him. That's why he sent Jesus. Amen? So how can we share this message of eternal life with people around us? Let's begin in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, and then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well. It was about noon, and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy food. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This was a very unique situation. Jews as a whole did not speak to Samaritans. They did not have dealings with Samaritans. There was a very strong prejudice, first of all, against Samaritans. And not only was there a prejudice against Jews against Samaritans, there was also a prejudice of men against women. So it's like a double prejudice. Have you ever been in a situation where you know somebody really doesn't like you? I remember we first went to South Bend, Indiana, and it's my first real example of seeing prejudice, but we, we saw some houses that were really reasonable. We were going to go to Bible school, so I thought, well, rather than just rent a house, I might buy a house. And so I went to this neighbor, neighborhood where the houses were really reasonable. And there were people standing out by the corner. We drove down this street to look at this nice brick house for real reasonable price. And they said, we don't want none. In other words, they didn't want me there. And I talked to Dr. Shirley about it. He said, you don't want to move in there because if you go on vacation, everything in your house will be gone when you come back. Because they don't want you there. And they take care of the neighbors, and they get rid of the ones they don't want. That is prejudice. There's all kinds of prejudice in the world. You know, this woman was used to Jewish, Jews as a whole. They, they didn't connect with them. They didn't talk to them. They just rejected them. But not only Jews, but men as a whole. I recently saw a film that was done about this, and, you know, she was there. And, and, and the person said, we don't do business with your kind. And she was in the market. So it was very unusual that Jesus would come and Jesus would speak to her and ask her, you know, for a drink. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God in verse 10 and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. 
From where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Now, it's not about who your ancestors are. Right? Sal salvation is not because you were born into the right family. In John 1.13, Jesus said it's not of the blood. Right? He's talking about your natural childbirth. It's not only, not only about your family, but it's not about how much wealth you have. You cannot buy your salvation. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this wealth? And, he, and his children and his cattle. Cattle were a sign of wealth. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about who your parents were that brings you into salvation. Jesus answered and said unto her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will be in him a well of water springing up into a eternal life. When you are born again, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you have eternal life, you don't need all these things from the outside, but you have a well in you bringing everlasting life, eternal life to you. You have the same life that Jesus had. The Bible says the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. The woman said unto him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. Now, Jesus could have stopped right there. Right? Jesus could have ministered eternal life to her right there, but he didn't stop there. He kept going. He wanted to go deeper. He wanted to take her father farther. Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, yeah, that's right. It's right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands before now. And the man you're now living with is not your husband. In this, you said, I have not a husband. You've told the truth. And the woman said, I perceive that you're a prophet. So see, Jesus, first of all, if we're going to lead people into salvation, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, the Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, or they are the children of God. And the Spirit does not lead us into bondage. Praise God. We haven't received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Daddy God. Then he says in verse 16, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was causing him to do things that were unusual, that were unique, that were uncommon, to minister in a different way. And so the, the Spirit in him led him to go on and ask this other question, and he moved into the word of knowledge and said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You're living with a man now, but you've had five before. This marriage deal wasn't working out too good for her. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. So she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and say that Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. You know, everybody knows that there's a God. There may be some people that claim to be atheists. Most people who claim to be atheists really are angry at God. And they're angry because they think God's done something negative that God probably hasn't done. In most cases, because they're blaming God for probably what the devil's done. So a lot of people who claim to be atheists, they, you know what, they're not atheists. Everybody knows there's a God. And this woman knew there was a God. 
She used to have a hard time connecting with him. And she said, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say in Jerusalem is the place where men should worship. Jesus said, woman, do you believe me? Believe me, he says, that the hour comes when you will neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father. You worship, you don't know what. What we worship, he says, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. Praise God. And there's only one way to get saved. And that's to believe on Jesus. He says, really, it's not the place, but it's the person. He goes on and says in verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks to such such to worship him. Praise God. That's the hour that we live in. God is, you know, looking for people who will worship him from their spirit. It's not an outward form of worship, right? It's not a head knowledge about worship. It's true spiritual worship. It's, it's about being born of God. It's about knowing God. It's about coming into a relationship with God through Christ, He says in verse 24, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know the Messiah is coming. I know the anointed one is coming. The Meshach, the one who has the spirit, which is called Christ. Again, Christ means the anointed one. And when he's come, he will tell us all things. He'll tell us the truth. Jesus says unto her, I that speak to you am he. Praise God. So how can we lead people into a relationship with Jesus? Well, first of all, we need to be led by the Spirit when we're just going about, you know, our daily business. Maybe we're going to Walmart or going to the grocery store. We're going to, you know what, Home Depot or Lowe's, going to the lumber yard. We're just out doing our daily business. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. And then I don't, not only do we need to listen to the Holy Spirit, in in sharing and reaching out to people, but we need to listen to the Spirit, what He's saying. Do you know the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just for Jesus? The gifts of the Spirit were not just for the first 12 disciples. They weren't just for the believers in the book of Acts. The gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. And the Spirit in you, the anointing in you, will lead you to the anointing on you. So you have an anointing from God. And if you're born again and have a relationship with Jesus, and if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have at least one gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit, right? And it says, he gives to every man severally in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, as he will. So you don't have to just be limited to one. But as you listen to the Spirit in you and you begin to reach out and minister, then it'll lead you to the anointing on you. You need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that there was a reason that Jesus not just didn't lead this woman when she first asked him into a relationship with himself because he wasn't only interested in her. He was interested in the people that were connected to her. Go tell your husband. Well, I don't have one. That's right. The man you're living with isn't your husband, and you had five before now. So she goes, and, and she, she goes, and she doesn't only tell her husband, she tells the whole city. Get this, a woman who most of society would have rejected is one of the first evangelists for the Lord Jesus and brings a whole city into relationship with him. 
You never know how one person is going to affect another person, and that person may affect multitudes. So you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in ministering to each and every person. And so Jesus listened to the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul said about ministering in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5, he said, when I came to you, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? So learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit in you, the anointing in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, lead you into the gifts of the Spirit. You'll become a more effective witness for the Lord Jesus. Now in verse 27, upon this came his disciples and they marveled. They were shocked that Jesus was speaking with this woman. Yet no man said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot and went her way into the city to the men and said, come see a man which told me everything that I've done. Is not this the Christ? Isn't this the Messiah, the anointed one? And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, the disciples asked Jesus to eat. And he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. In other words, there is something motivating me. There is something that is compelling me that's greater than what I eat. You, most of us are belly people. We wake up, right? What's for breakfast? Before we leave the house, we say, what's for lunch? Or what's, what are we going to have for dinner? You know, we're, we're, we're just thinking about, right, because that's a very common motivator for people, right? You got to eat to live. But Jesus said, listen, I, I've got something motivating me. I've got something compelling me that's greater than my belly, that's greater than what I eat. And his disciples asked one another, has, has somebody brought him something to eat? And Jesus said in verse 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The reason I'm here, I am come from God. And I am come to do what he sent me to do and to complete the work that he sent me to do. Jesus lived on purpose. For this purpose was the son of God manifest, the Bible says, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, don't say there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. You know, a lot of people say, well, revival will come in the future. And we're believing for something to happen. But there, there's harvest that is available right now. You know, with all the different things that are going on in the world, especially in Russia and Ukraine right now, people are worried about the world's food supply. Because they say there's a lot of wheat that's in Russia. There's a lot of wheat that's in Ukraine. You know, it was there years ago, and a lot of it perished in the fields, and we got along fine then. Did you know they actually harvest wheat somewhere in the world 12 months a year? There is always harvest that is available. And when wheat is white in the field, it is ready to perish. In other words, you've got to go get it before it's lost. And what Jesus is saying, there are people all around. Praise God, there is a harvest. There is always harvest available. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in leading us to the harvest that's around us. It may be your neighbors next door. It may be your friends across town. It may be your friends across the nation or across the world. It, it may be your children. It may be your parents. Who, who knows? It may be someone at the grocery store or someone 
you know, as you go about your daily business. But there are people who need to know Jesus. And Jesus is saying the harvest is white. It's white already. There are people that are ready to perish. And if we don't take the gospel to them, they're going to perish. I have a question for you. Do we have a heart for the harvest? Do we have a heart for the people that are lost and that are dying? It seems like so much in today's world in the church, we're trying to get the world to conform to the church. And you know what? They're blind. And they don't see the light. They don't see things like we do. And, and they don't understand things like we do because they are blind. But you know what? We need, to, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in leading these people to Christ. I, I said at a meeting that I was part of the other day, the challenge isn't so much what's going on in the world. There's a lot of dirt in the world. And you know what? Jesus said it's going to be that. He said iniquity of many, is, it's going it's to abound. He talked about people are going to turn away from God. There's going to be apostasy in the last days. He talks about Isaiah prophesied that gross darkness, thick darkness will cover the people, but it won't be on you. But the challenge isn't the difficulties and the problems. The problem is we've got so much of the world in the church. And I said, really, if we get the world out of the church, we're trying to make the world conform to the church, right? And I am all about being salt and light. I'm all about standing up and making a difference. And I'm rejoicing, you know, in some of the things that are being done, right, politically and in different areas. But listen, the battle, if you just, if you just win the political battle, you'll just win a battle. But we've got to win the war. We've got to lead people to Jesus. There's got to be people's hearts turned to the Lord to where they see the light and they have a change. And if they get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and they begin to renew their mind in the Word of God, they're going to think differently. And guess what? If they start thinking differently, they'll vote differently. But a lot of these times, we're just, we're just fighting an outward battle. We don't realize what the, the true heart of the matter is, is we've got to get people to know Christ. We've got to begin to share the gospel. We don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't need to be ashamed of the word of God. Can you remember when you first got saved? Can you remember when you first got filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you remember when you first began to get a revelation that God is a good God and God wants to do good things in your life? Praise God. And you are who you are. Why? Because Jesus made you. We need to share that experience of salvation with people around us. And so Jesus said, listen, the thing that's motivating me, the thing that is compelling me is is we've got to get the harvest, is to do my Father's will and to finish His work. The, the harvest is white. There is a harvest. There are people all around us. There are people far and people near. Praise God. And we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so we can share Jesus with the people that are far and near. He goes on and says in verse 36, He that reaps wages, he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to life eternal that both he who sows and he reaps may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true. One sows and another reaps. Did you know God's called us to, to reap harvest off other people's labors? I know in this church, I've reaped a harvest off a lot of other people's labors. I know when I moved to Colorado Springs, there's a lot of people that have reaped harvest off the labors that I had before that. When I, when I came to Colorado Springs to start this church, I was starting a Bible study, and I knew a lot of people that I'd led to Christ and I had a relationship with here. I was believing for 20 people to come to a Bible study, and about five people showed up. 
We had a very slow start. It took us a whole year of Bible studies in church to get to 40 people. Hallelujah. Thank God we've come a long ways. And sometimes we get discouraged, but we keep looking and keep thanking God. Amen. Because today we're reaping, because we sowed a lot into other people's harvest. Amen. But we're reaping a lot of harvest that other people have sowed into. But we have to realize that God is the one who, who is the Lord of the harvest. Let's look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 through verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for you're yet carnal. For whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions, are not you carnal and walk as men? While one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are not you carnal? Who is Apollos? Who's Paul? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted in Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. That's what we need to look at, that God is giving the increase. However he brings it, it's good. Neither is he who plants anything or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he that plants and he who waters are one, and every man will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For you are labors together with God. You are God's field. You are God's garden. Amen? And you are God's building. We have to see it's God who's building the house. Amen? It's God who's taking care of the field. Amen? And we have to begin to just look for fruit. And however he brings the fruit, whoever he brings the fruit through, thank God for that. Amen? It might be somebody that's different than us. They, they have different gifts. They have different anointings. But we're thanking God for the fruit. Praise God. We need to look for the fruit wherever we're at. And really, we need to get a heart for the harvest. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 38. He said, I sent you, I'm back in John 4, verse 38. I sent you to reap wherein you bestowed no labor, and other men labored, and you are entered in to their labors. See, Jesus had a heart for the harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, I want to give you an example from his life. In Matthew 9, verse 35 to verse 38, he talks about harvest. And it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You know, about a month ago, I, I met a little girl out here in the entryway in between service. She's probably six years old. She said, this is what I want to do, Pastor. I want to go preaching and I want to go teaching and I want to go singing. I said, you know what? That's, I want to be telling people about Jesus. I said, that's almost like Jesus. Because Jesus went preaching, and he went teaching, and he went healing. Notice it says he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Jesus was moved with compassion on multitudes of people because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous. Look on the harvest, it's white, it's all ready to perish. But the labors are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, who is the Lord of the harvest? Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Jesus, you know what, we've been praying some things. I got my staff to pray these things. And I'm going to ask you as a church to pray these things. Acts chapter 2, the very last verse says this. It says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We've been praying that as a staff. I've been praying that as your pastor. The Lord is adding to the church daily. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Those who are being saved. And Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So when the devil tries to bring different thoughts to me, I say, thank you, Jesus. 
Amen. You are building the house. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are adding to the church daily those who are being saved. And we're looking for harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Praise God. We get to go labor with the Lord and bring in the harvest. Now, as we begin to look in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman who testified, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then said, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of your words, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. I love this scripture, and I'm going to turn there really quickly to 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. And it talks about the testimony of men and the testimony of God. It says this, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God that he has testified of his own son. You see, this lady testified to the city, but then when they came and heard Jesus, they got the witness of God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of God is greater. And you know what? We need to tell people about Jesus, but what's really important is that they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive Jesus, the Bible actually says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We need to be so sensitive to that voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what John says in 1 John 5, verse 10 to verse 12. Whoever believes on the Son has this witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar because he did not believe the record that God gave of his son. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And he that has not the son of God has not life. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Amen? You know, that's the problem with a lot of people. We're we've made more converts than got them born again. Praise God. We've got to do more than change your thinking. They've got to have a change of heart. They've got to be born again. They've got to get this witness in themselves that they are the children of God. They've got to begin to know God for themselves, personally and intimately. Amen? You know what Jesus said about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He said, you take these people in the world and you make them twice the child of hell than they already are. Sometimes our religion, we make people hard-hearted to the gospel because we make them think they're okay when they're really not. And we don't want to do that. We want them to hear the voice of God. We want them to be born of God. We want them to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. So the first thing, we need to be led by the Spirit, right, in ministering to the lost. The second thing is, we need to have a heart for the lost. We need to have a heart to win people to Christ. You know, we need to be more concerned about their spiritual condition than a lot of these natural things. Praise God. Now, as we move to the end of John chapter 4, Jesus ministers healing to a nobleman's son. We'll go ahead in verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed from there and went into Galilee. And Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own country. And when he came into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem, Jesus' works testified of who he was, for they went to the feast. And Jesus came again into Cain of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman 
whose son was sick at Capernaum. And we heard that Jesus was come out of Judah into Galilee. He went to him. So the first thing, this is a political leader in the area. The first thing he did was he came to Jesus. Praise God. And he besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then he called on Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, Except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the nobleman said, Sir, come down, or my child's going to die. Now, I believe that this man heard about Jesus, right? I believe he heard about the water that was turned to wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. I mean, heard about the different things that Jesus had been doing. So, first of all, he came to Jesus, right? Because he, heard, he called on Jesus. He believed in the works of Jesus, right? Or he wouldn't have been asking Jesus to heal his son. But then when he came to Jesus, Jesus spoke a word to him. And he said, go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And he went his way. Jesus spoke a word, and the man believed that word. So he came to Jesus, he called on Jesus, he believed in the works of Jesus, but he also believed in the word of Jesus. And he was going, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, your son lives. And they inquired of him, he inquired of them when he began to be healed. And they said, yesterday, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. Yesterday, about one o'clock. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole house. Praise God. This man believes. So Jesus ministers to a woman, but he's not only interested in the woman, he's interested in who she's connected to. Praise God. And Jesus received a whole city. Amen. A whole city. Isn't that awesome? Came into salvation. And Jesus then ministers to this man, ministers healing to his son. But not only does he heal the man's son, he gets his whole household saved. In fact, there's a study done. Rich Phipps, who's the leader of our men's group, talked about it. In most families, when the head of the household, when the father of the house makes a decision to follow Christ, over 90% of that household will give themselves to Christ. So Jesus led this man to Christ, right? Let, healed his son. And then this man and his whole family came to Christ. You know, the Bible actually says this in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. So Jesus is interested in the individuals, but he's not only interested in them. Praise God. He's interested in bringing groups of people. Praise God to Christ. In this area, the whole city came to Christ. And then this man's whole house, he wasn't only interested in healing this man's son, he wanted to get his household saved. And him and his house got saved. It says this, again, is the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judah into Galilee. You know, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that we can move forward in the power of the Spirit. And so that we can see people come to Christ. And we can be sensitive enough that we hear the spirits saying, hey, go a little deeper. Take them a little farther. Amen? Because you're not only dealing with this one person. You're dealing with all the people they're connected to. And if you get that one, multitudes are coming behind them. Praise God. And if you get this other one, their whole house is coming with them. Praise God. So, so we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy Spirit. Because the, the fields 
Jesus said, are white. The fields are white. They're ready to perish already unto harvest. We live in the day of harvest. The Bible says multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come. And so let's be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit so we can lead people, praise God, into a relationship with Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.